Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Ever seen the sky so blue? The birds are singing, I got nothing to do. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> it is sunny day. Sunny day now. My pocket's empty, my cupboard's bare. But call me illogical, I just don't care. Hey, hey, hey. It is a sunny day. It's the KSL Greenhouse. Expert tips for flowers, trees, gardens, and soil. Our hosts are Maria Chaleos and Ton Bettis on KSL News Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. We'll be taking your calls at 801-575-8255. We already have Don standing by. Dan will be with you, or Don will be with you in just a second. You can also text us at 57500, uh, beginning of the morning with Plant of the Week. And we want to talk about varieties of lavender that are the dwarf size. Yes, I found one that seems to be readily available, and there are many others out there you can find. But this one's been around for 20 years, 30 years at least, and it looks like it's fairly widespread, and it's called Blue Cushion. It's manageable. And it is. Let's put it that well, way. Lavender, especially the old-fashioned types of lavender that get a, a little bit bigger, you know, Munstead, Hidcoat, there's others out there, can over four or five years just start to look a little bit ratty. gangly. They do. Of, yeah. And there's no amount of pruning sometimes that will fix them, and so you have to cut them back and dig them out. And replant, and that that's something that's a little bit inherent to uh, lavender. But there are smaller ones out there that you know. What I'll see oftentimes is people will put them next to a walkway, not expecting that lavender plant to get two and a half feet high, two and a half three feet wide, and go clear out over. And then you end up having to shear it, and you've got all this. Dead branches and things, and they can just be a little bit harder to manage than average perennials because they're kind of in between a perennial and a bush. Mm-hmm. And so they have woody stems toward the base, but we consider them a perennial, and so they can just be a little hard to deal with. And so it's easier to find varieties that will stay smaller. Unless you're one of those people who can be out in your yard, you know, 24 hours yes. a day. Now there, and then you, maybe you could manage yeah, them. <laughs> you can. And I've been, you know, thinking about trimming these because you can give them a light to moderate haircut, but you don't want to prune into bare branching because they won't grow back from that point. And so after they're done blooming, that's the traditional time to give them a light haircut. But unlike other perennials, you don't want to cut them to the ground because they most likely won't come back the next year. You talked about one being planted along the walkway. Well, if you want to engage all of your senses, there are things that we do plant along the walkways just for that aroma. And lavender is one that just is so wonderful for that. It is. And so some of these dwarf types and what I'd recommend people do is get online and just 
search dwarf lavender and five or six varieties will come up. And locally, uh, a company called Perennial Favorites, which is a wholesaler to many of our local garden centers and other retailers, Perennial Favorites has a catalog that you can look at all the perennials they carry. And they have several lavenders in there. And I, this one was among their catalog. I noticed it was you could order it from several different places online. And so my advice with the lavender is to order the smaller types and put them just and still know how wide they get because this blue cushion still can get 18 inches wide, which fits a lot better along a walkway or something. But just be aware of how big it gets three or four years down the road to avoid those problems. Okay. Are they water-wise? Very. They're native to similar areas that we discussed last week with rosemary. And they have, when I say similar, since rosemary is more piney and things, but they both have kind of that strong minty smell to them. And... When you plant them, one of the ways that they survive in their native habitat is that they can tolerate heat very well. And so once established, they only need watered every couple of weeks and they're perfectly happy. In fact, a good way to kill them is to overwater them Mm -hmm. once established because they will not tolerate that. And so if you have a really heavy clay soil and you've had other things struggle, the lavenders might, but even in a clay loam, as long as you have them in an area where water doesn't settle, they're they're usually pretty happy. Okay, so they like sun. Do they do well in the shade as well? No. Okay. They will they need at least six hours of sunlight. So maybe a southeastern exposure would be fine for them, but uh, northeastern exposure or especially a northern exposure wouldn't be something that they could survive long term. Anything else on lavender? Well, lavender is one that I would give a chance, especially in a waterway situation. You can use them for, you know, if you like to harvest herbs and fragrant things and do the potpourri and, you know, the sachets and different things like that. They're very useful for that. You can use them for cooking, but there's, there's lots of uses for them. But give them a shot and just expect, though, especially the bigger ones, you may end up having to take them out over time. But that's a part of gardening to where oftentimes things just don't last in your yard forever. And especially these larger lavender varieties are the ones that you may need to swap out. And if you'd like to find out more about lavender, there's an article up now on the KSL Greenhouse Facebook page. We are coming back with your calls. Don, Bob, you're up next. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can also text us your questions, 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. 
Good morning. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you. We are taking your calls, 801-575-8255. You can also text us at 57500. Don is on the line in Holiday. Good morning, Don. What can we help you with this morning? Good morning. Yes, I've got some questions uh, regarding berries and apple trees I wonder if I could ask. I'm putting in some new plants this year here. Do you have suggestions on blackberries and raspberries that are appropriate for the area? What city are you in again? Holiday. Holiday. So you're just washed as front. So, yeah, there's all sorts that you can do. Blackberries. There's triple crown is usually my recommendation, although there are several other good berries out there. Triple crown is a little more cold hardy, is highly productive. And it's the flavor is a little bit more mild as compared to some of them. And so if you want that strong blackberry flavor, you might consider Arapaho or Navajo would be a uh-huh. couple of others. Okay. And in the raspberry area? Raspberries, are you wanting just summer bearing or ever bearing? Well, I was maybe looking a little bit of both. Okay. Well, for the ever-bearing types, what I would look for are polana or polka. There's other uh-huh. really good ones out there, still several of them. But polana especially is highly productive, and it has a good flavor. It, yes. Um, polka is a little less productive, still highly productive, though, and ha- is a little more tender, but it's a little bit sweeter. And so oh. both of them you can order online or a lot of local garden centers will find them. And both of these are ever-bearing, but what you can do is just cut them to the ground, and then you get a really heavy crop starting at some point in mid-August, late August, and then maybe into September, and then they'll bear until hard frost. Okay. But as far as summer-bearing types, there are a lot of those out there. And what I would recommend doing is there's a website called Norse Farms that is really good with a lot of their raspberry varieties. And okay. Norse Farms? Norse Farms, N-O-U-R-S-E. And of their varieties, and a lot of these are still available locally, Caroline is really good. Um, Heritage is a Utah standard that... Uh, has really good flavor. It isn't as cold hardy sometimes as others. Uh huh. Then Jewel or Joan Jay or two others that um, they have that you can find sometimes locally. Okay, thank you. I had a question also. I'm putting in apple trees and wondering if there are any suggestions as far as some that might ripen earlier and then go on through the season with the ripening. Yes, and I will say that the earlier the ripening of the apple, the more quickly it needs to be used. And so if you're using summer apples, you can eat them, but you may only have a three- or four-day window that those apples stay good enough that they're going to be you know, good and not just sweet, but just a little bit crispy. And so the earliest apples that you can get are Lodi or Yellow Transparent, and they're oftentimes Mm -hmm. late July. And what they do, though, is they make a pretty good sauce apple. And so if you wanted to sauce them or something, but then a little later, maybe something like Sweet 16 or Zestar would be a couple of earlier varieties. And then of apples that everybody's heard of, Gala is going to be the earliest, and that 
is usually a late September, early September apple to mid September. Uh huh. Is the Zestar is that known for a good flavor? Yeah, they're supposed to store a little bit longer. It's supposed to have a pretty good flavor to it. And it, but again, it might be two to maybe four weeks at the most. And so in general, and there are some exceptions, the later the apple ripens, the longer it stores. And, you know, the, an exception to that would be golden delicious. But in general, the later it ripens, the better it's going to be for storage. Okay. And is there a self-pollinating pear tree? Uh, Bartlett is semi-self-pollinating. Plus, there's so many other flowering pears around that Uh the ornamental pears are compatible enough that you will get a crop if you just plant one. You might even get away with doing that if you wanted something like Anjou or Bosque. But if you want to can them, Bartlett's going to hold up really well. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. All right, Don. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Next listener, Don, says they have two hardy kiwi that they planted three years ago. They've grown well in a trellis, but they've never provided any fruit. They've never even flowered. They were supposed to be self-pollinating. But at this point, they're wondering if they should just give up and plant well, something else. Well, when they're self-pollinating, they've planted a male and the female in the same pot. Mm-hmm. And one of the two has probably died. Oh, but not knowing if it's male or female that survived, they would have to plant a male and a female to ensure fruit production. Hmm. Kiwis, there are hardy kiwis that will survive our winters just fine. But our challenge here is that they will leaf out early and then they get hit by frost and they're oftentimes killed. And so you need to grow them on the benches, you know, places like the Bountiful Bench or the Orem Bench where they have protection because if they do freeze, they're, they're done. Okay, so freezing's not their problem. What should they do at this point? I buy a new male and a new female and plant them. Just buy them. In proximity. And, What's yeah, in proximity? How close do they have to I just, if they've got a hedgerow, I would just plant them on the same hedge or fence line or trellis just because they do need to be fairly close together. Yeah, because if they're doing well, you don't want to just start from no, scratch No, I wish you don't have I knew to. if it was a male or female. And I mm. guess they could watch the flowers and maybe see, but they're probably going to have to plant a couple of them because I suspect that one of the two that were in the original pot died. Died, okay. Bob is on the line in Centerville. Good morning, Bob. What is your question? Oh, yeah, hello. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I sprayed last year for... Uh, uh, aphids on my plum tree, a little Italian plum tree, but maybe I didn't spray enough. I don't know, and I used a systemic. Is that the right spray to use? Well, when you say you sprayed a systemic, did you do a soil drench or just spray it on the leaves? I'm sorry, what was that? When you said you used a systemic, did you do a soil drench where you pour it around the trunk, or did you just use – a lot of them will have on the label that you can spray the leaves also. Which did you do? I don't know. I just I just sprayed the whole the whole tree until it actually kind of up underneath it and everything. But I had, I don't know if the systemic is the right spray to use. Well, you don't the systemics. Although a few of them have a label to spray right on the tree, you generally will mix them in a bucket and pour them around the base of the tree in the spring after the tree is done blooming. 
Oh. And it takes about a month or so for the systemic, systemic to work its way through the tree. But then that should wipe out all the aphids in there. Yeah, you know, I usually, in the spring, I usually spray with a, a dormant oil. Is that correct? That is a thing to do. Uh, they're mm-hmm. not, a lot of people assume that these dormant sprays, you know, this oil is a miracle product. And what it, what you're spraying for is trying to spray overwintering insect pests and spider mite pests, eggs, and just the adults that overwinter on the tree. Mm-hmm. And so most of these are piercing and sucking insects that get into the leaves and the fruit and sometimes into the actual branching, but they don't do anything, you know, they give you benefit up front, but their longer term effect is not there because, you know, three or four months down the road, new insect pests can move in. And so I usually recommend using a dormant oil, trying to use, you know, really high pressure water sprays, horticultural soaps and oils during the summer into the fall to get rid of these aphids. But sometimes you do need to turn to something like a systemic, but it's something that I would find one that's a soil drench. And when the tree's done blooming, apply it then and you mix it in a bucket and pour it around the tree. So if it is is a systemic, what, what is the brand name for, or what is the, the best spray that I should get? Well, for? 90% of them that you find in garden centers will be the same active ingredient. And so BioAdvanced makes one, Fertilome makes one. There's many companies that make them. And so if you went into a garden center, they would have three or four brands most likely. No, just you know, trust on what they say. Yeah, and they all have the same active better. ingredient. And which is the best time to spray? Is that right just before they bloom? Or You want to see a lot of buds swell, but you don't want the buds to be open. Okay. Yeah. Uh, last year I had so many aphids that, uh, boy, I just couldn't believe it. It just killed my – I didn't have only have maybe a handful of plums. Yeah, and so I, that systemic may be a benefit because over time those aphids can cause a lot of stress to the tree. Oh, yeah. All right, Bob. I can imagine. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you so much for your info. You bet. Uh, number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can uh, text us at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.